This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Hockey Central here on Sportsnet 960. I'm Haley Salvian here with you for the next hour. It's another Calgary Flames game day. Flames playing the Minnesota Wild tonight. Uh, after a big 5-4 victory in Dallas last night. Uh, we're going to have Greg Wyshynski join the show this afternoon coming up at the top of the hour. And then later on in the show, we'll have Joe Smith from the Minnesota Wild. Uh, well, he covers the Minnesota Wild for the athletic, I should say. And he's going to join us later in the show to help us tee up that matchup. In the meantime, I'm going to bring in my friend, producer, Sportsnet co-host, Logan Gordon for for a little chat. Logo, what's up? How are you? I'm good, Hills. How are you? Good, good. I feel like it's another short week for me. I've got a wedding to go to. Ooh. So we've got two shows. We've got two hours this week to make it count. Try to get in all the things that we can. Lots to get to then. I know. I know. We have lots to get to. And I mean, the first thing that we are going to talk about here, Logo, is is the Calgary Flames deadline. We'll recap it really quickly because this is the first show uh, that I've had since the deadline. And we talked a lot on this show and on different shows. There's been columns and tons of radio fodder about, you know, what people thought the Flames should have done at the deadline. What's the best approach, etc. I have no issue with with what Brad Tree Living did. On deadline day logo, and, and I know that's not a crazy hot take. I'm just saying, yep, yeah, don't hate it. Uh, we talked on this show about the idea of strategic spending and how maybe that's an area that they should explore. It sounds like the organization did spend some time looking into ways to gain assets for the future with some of those players with one year left on their deal, uh, but didn't sound like there was anything that made sense for the team to do. Totally fine. No problem. Don't sell guys off for nothing. Uh, and they didn't have a massive fire sale. That's fine. They didn't part with any important draft picks, futures, or prospects for a high-cost rental. Totally agree. And I have no problem with, you know, the work around the edges they did, swapping some of the depth, moving out Brett Ritchie and Connor Mackey for Nick Ritchie and Troy Stetcher, swapping Redeem Zohorna for Dryden Hunt is another organizational depth move. You know, I think the biggest thing, like if anything, that's probably the, what the Flames should have done at the deadline, right? This is a, I think a lot of people can agree, or maybe not. We'll see. I'll hear in the, in the text line for sure. I don't know how you feel, Logo, but I see this Flames team as a good team that has underperformed this season, uh, which puts Bradtree Living in a difficult spot, right? Do you want to start to kind of retool a little bit? Do you want to move like a Toffoli or a Lindholm out and see how much you can get? Or do you want to keep those assets in here because they are very good and important players on this roster that potentially will be much improved next year once they stop underperforming? Uh, so it was a kind of an interesting decision that the flames kind of had to come to and i mean if they're not getting anything that they can't say no to like if the carolina hurricanes because that was a team that we heard thrown around a little bit sounds like they were sneaking around poking around with the flames if they're not offering something that broad true living can't say no to like why do you make that deal i've got no issue with what happened last week no i don't either i think the the deal specifically with arizona is one that look you can see some upside in i think uh, you know, with all due respect to Brett Ritchie, I think that uh, Nick is a higher upside version than his brother. He's younger uh, on an expiring contract. And even if it just winds up being a 
19 or 20 game audition to see if Nick Ritchie is someone that you may or may not be interested in re-signing, then I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm 100% with your, your thinking, Haley, that if I wasn't getting wowed by something at the trade deadline, I wasn't going to just make a deal for the sake of making a deal. And let's be honest, the trade deadline, yes, is an in-season deadline, and it means probably a lot for teams that are hoping to sell or buy. But if you're in a spot like the Calgary Flames, your deadline really isn't to me, Haley, until the start of next season. All of these right. players that we talked about, whether it was to Foley or Backlund or whoever, those can still be explored in the offseason and maybe with a more open marketplace than you would get at an NHL's trade deadline. We always say that every year because it's true. In the offseason, you might have 20, 25 teams that are interested in a Michael Backlund or can present something to you in a trade like that. Come trade deadline time of the NHL season, there's really only a handful of teams that are A, interested and B, would have the cap space to make it work anyway. So I don't think if you look at it in a vacuum and say trade deadline was our you know, hard and fast moment to sell or make changes with these names, I just don't think that's the right way of looking at it because I think the offseason presents a lot of those same opportunities if that's where you want to go uh, again and re-explore it. Mm-hmm. And, and they didn't move anything significant out either, and I think that's important. Like, I think there would have been a lot of people disappointed uh, if they saw the Flames, you know, having a big, uh, like, you know, swinging for something big and getting rid of a first-round pick or an important prospect or somebody that people liked off the roster uh, for a team that hasn't quite shown that they can be competitive and are worth spending those assets on. Um, last night, though, huge win uh, to kick off this road trip for the Flames after – Really bad fifth straight loss to Minnesota on the weekend where the team got booed off the ice. Uh, Tyler Toffoli with the game winner logo. Did that save the Flames season last night? It surely showed that they weren't they weren't dead yet. Yes. Uh, but does that have the potential to save the year in your opinion? Only if they can turn it into one of those springboard or galvanizing moments uh, yeah. that we've talked about for months and months on end, Haley, and you and me have had those conversations and texts of saying, hey, you know, can we go back to this again? Is this the springboard? Is it the springboard? (laughs) Maybe it's it's next time. So I'm not going to say it is until I've actually seen proof that it is, and to me, that would mean, you know, when you and me are chatting sometime next week, they've picked up wins against Minnesota, and they've probably picked up a win against Anaheim on Friday as well. That's the earliest that I could say it has the potential to do that, because with all due respect to Tyler Toffoli, it was a great play. Uh, it was good to see them stick with it after blowing another two-goal lead in that game uh, and, and push back. But at the end of the day, we've been here before in different situations saying, this is the moment. This is where we're finally going to see this team take off and use it. And more often than not, we've been served up with a couple of losses or a point here or there in overtime and nothing really that you could point to and say that's actually going to get it done for the Calgary Flames. So it could it could it be the beginning of that? Absolutely, it could be. But more times than not, we've been fooled this season, and uh-huh. it's up to this Flames team to prove us wrong this time and say that they're actually going to follow up on it. Yeah. Is it like, could it be? Absolutely. Is it actually going to be? That remains to be seen again. We've, we've been here before with this team. Uh, they've got a big opportunity to, you know, use that as a springboard and rebound again after a, a pretty bad loss against the Minnesota Wild. I think we've all seen the clip that was going around of a very dejected looking bench. They get booed off the ice. 
Uh, they've got another quick one here against the Minnesota Wild. Puck drop at 6 p.m. Pre-game on sports at 960 goes at 5 o'clock. We don't have a ton of notes to share uh, about the lineup because this is a back-to-back situation, so we'll find out Calgary's starting goalie and most and any lineup notes at warm-up. Sounds like the Minnesota Wild are going with Philip Gustafson in net, and Oscar Sundqvist is going to make his Minnesota Wild debut uh, after joining the team at the deadline. Okay, so this is my random question of the day i guess logan before we get to wish and we'll probably ask him this as well uh so i saw this on twitter it was from james johnson i've been on his podcast before he does some you know good freelance and blogging work Mm -hmm. uh on twitter james johnson yyc okay so i saw this on his twitter he's actually tweeted quite a lot about it the flames could have entered the Connor Bedard lottery last night if the Flames lost to the Stars and Washington got at least one point against the Kings. So when you go on Tankathon now, the Flames are technically in the lottery, but they cannot win first overall. Uh, so right now they have a 0% chance at the first overall pick, uh, but they could move up the lottery. Right now, if everything it goes, you know, technically by the record, the Flames pick 13th overall at the lottery. If, if it, the season ends today uh, and everyone just ends up shaking out based on the standings, Calgary Flames pick 13th overall. But let's say the Calgary Flames end up, you know, dropping down the standings a little bit. And they end up in the Bedard sweepstakes. So this is my random question with all this this preamble. And I asked this uh, of you, Logo, and mm-hmm. our, our listeners on 960-960. Would you rather the Calgary Flames get into the playoffs? Do you want them to claw into the postseason, wild card two? Or would you rather them get into the Bedard sweepstakes and have a three three point five five percent chance at Connor Bedard. Oh look the competitor <laughs> in me says that you you always try to finish on the best possible leg that you can and that you you're always striving to be a playoff team and that the age old adage of hey when you get into the playoffs anything can happen I do believe that's true for the most part, but I mean, you know, from 61, 62 games into the season, have I seen enough that makes me think even if the Calgary Flames did enter the playoffs, they would be a force to be reckoned with? I I don't know that I can buy that. So I think given, and, and I'll, I'll add this and then I'll let you, you hand things over to Wish here, I, I would say that even more so than being in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes and having to win first overall, even having a higher draft pick in this draft based on how deep we think it is could be worth it in the long run. So as difficult as it is, I think you have to be realistic as to where you are as a team. And for me, I think if you can talk about putting yourself in the position to get maybe a top five pick in this year's draft, then I think for the value of the franchise, that probably makes more sense. I think if the Flames were in the Eastern Conference, it's not even a conversation. It's like lose as many games as possible because there's no way you're going to beat the Boston Bruins in the first round as the eight seed or, or whatever it ended up being, like whatever conference or wild card they're in. It's like there's no way. If you're in the East, just tank. You're done. Try to get Connor Bedard. Uh, but the West is a little bit of a different story, right? The West is is technically winnable. I think you know most people went into the season looking at this Flames team thinking – you know, they could be better suited for the postseason. I think they could play better in the playoffs, however they 
they still have to get there. So uh, let's maybe let's bring in our first guest of the day. We made him wait a little bit longer, but now maybe I don't have to explain the premise of my question because he was hopefully listening. Greg Wyshynski joins us now on the Atlas Pizza Hotline, uh, ESPN senior national writer. Greg, did you hear all that? This is my random question of the day because I was like down the rabbit hole on Twitter. Would you rather have the Flames make the playoffs as the eighth seed or like the wild card two, or would you rather them get into the Bedard sweepstakes and have like a 3% chance of drafting first overall? Oh, I'm sorry. Am I on the radio? I thought this was a personal call that we were having today. Um, no, I'm kidding. Listen, uh, yes. the problem with your chat. premise is that the, the flames, the flames already, uh, already made the decision, um, which is that they decided they wanted to be in hockey purgatory, which is why I think as we talk still about the winners and losers at trade deadlines, like the flames are my biggest loser because the Washington capitals, the St. Louis blues, the national predators, they all took these deep longing stares into the mirror and determined what they are and what they are is non-contenders. Like even teams that had a prayer mathematically for the playoffs said to themselves, it it behooves me to try to move on to the next phase of my franchise than to just, you know, spend uh, four games getting trounced by the Boston Bruins, for example. So the flames decided they didn't want to do that. And that's okay. Like they, they obviously made all those moves in the summer with an eye towards return to the playoffs, but they also didn't really improve <laughs> at all either. So it's like, if you're not going to do the one thing, you have to do the other thing. And when you don't do either of them, then you're just stuck in hockey purgatory where you're looking at like a 13th overall pick rather than really kind of going and digging in and trying to get an, a, a Connor Bedard or an Adam Fantilli. Yeah, we've seen this happen with this team before. Like, I mean, I'm sure fans will be able to tell you off the top of their head how many times they've picked like 12, 13, 14 in the past, but never really drafted particularly high. And even when they do, they haven't really gotten that that guy. Uh, I think it was Sam Bennett is their highest ever draft pick. <laughs> so yeah, so exactly. <laughs> so I mean, if, if I think a lot of teams were kind of in this boat, and and more so this year because of the Connor Bedard of it all um, to really either commit to the bit or don't. And, and again, like even the teams like the Capitals and the Blues and the Predators that uh, decided to sell off some pieces at the deadline, like they're way behind <laughs> those teams that have been setting the table for a, a tank, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, you're not going to be able to catch up to the Columbuses of the world um, at this point, because they've, they've meticulously designed this season to, to be as bad as possible. And again, like we have to go into the, the usual harangue about players don't tank and coaches don't tank, but GM mm-hmm. owners definitely tank. And, and so if you're, if you, even if you're at the deadline and you decide to start trying to kind of increase your lottery odds, you've got some real catching up to do because teams have been, have been preparing for this draft in particular for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is a flames team that has like any chance, like let's say they make it into the playoffs, their wild card too. Is this a team that you think could do anything in the postseason, or have they just show? Have you seen enough that you're like, yeah, this is it's it's not going anywhere? Well, every time every time you wanna you wanna just like cut bait on the Flames, like they do something like last night, where you remember, oh yeah, yes. they still have guys like Tyler Toffoli that have Stanley Cup rings and, and a modicum of pride that want to get into a playoff series and, and really make it difficult for somebody and. 
you know, the Western Conference being what it is right now, there isn't the Boston Bruins kind of looming over you if you end up in the second wild card. I think people look at the West as being maybe a little bit more wide open than the East, which is kind of hilarious when you consider how many moves were made by Eastern Conference playoff contenders versus how many were made by Western Conference playoff contenders. Um, I, listen, I, you get in, you get in, and you, and you take your chances in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, that's just how it always is. I'd give them a chance against anybody. I don't think – I mean, I, I think ultimately they're probably wasting their time because they don't think they're a Stanley Cup winning team. Um, mm-hmm. But they could certainly add a few more dollars to the, to the copper with some playoff revenue if they got in. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so – you brought up the trade deadline. I think it seems like you weren't super <laughs> interested or into what the Flames had to do. But let's look at some of the teams that, you know, maybe jumped up a tier. Uh, like, are there any bubble teams that you now look at as a playoff team? Or is there a contender that's now considered a favorite? Like, who did the most to help their team down the stretch uh, heading into the deadline, in your opinion, Greg? Well, from a bubble team perspective, the one that really kind of made the most dramatic move was was Ottawa, obviously with the Shikran trade, and you know, being all things being equal, that uh, they lost in Chicago last night, which was not a good look for them, and they certainly seemed pretty upset about it. Um, that's a player that obviously improves them in a pretty significant way, not only this season but for the next two seasons. And, and it's interesting, like the the Chik the contract lines up perfectly with the Claude Giroux contract, so you have a sense of. They think they have a window here with, with Drew on the roster and, and they want to maximize it. So it's a it's a pretty good move. And obviously, because of all of the, the situations going on with the Coyotes and so far as not wanting to take on any salary and things like that, um, they got a pretty decent price on the guy too. As far as teams that were already kind of ensconced in the playoffs that really leveled up, there was two that I really liked. I think I think the Matias Eckholm move for the Oilers was really, really good. That's a team that had a serious deficiency on the back end um, he does a lot of things. Uh, you know, he, he can he can be an offensive player. He's one of the stoutest defensive defensemen that we've had in this league for the last several seasons. Um, and they and they you know they gave up Tyson Berry for him. But when you have Drysaddle and McDavid on your power play, like I could be back there, and they'd still probably click at twenty five percent. I think they'll be okay there. And then obviously okay. the Timo Meyer move for the Devils was was huge. He, he, he checks. So many boxes of what they were missing, scoring on the wing, size, physicality. And as somebody who covered those San Jose Sharks, uh, Vegas Golden Knights wars out in the Western Conference uh, when he was in San Jose, I mean, that's a guy that knows a a brutal playoff series as well, which is going to come in handy when the Devils inevitably play the Rangers in the first round. Uh, we'll get to Timo Meyer in a second because he is making his debut for the Devils against the Leafs tonight. Uh, but quickly, like who's who are the biggest losers of the deadline, Greg? And you can you can say the Flames if you want, but just be aware that you are on Sports at nine sixty. The fan. You know, it's listen. There are some teams that didn't really do anything, and the Flames are, are one of them. Carolina was another, and I've seen some people kind of ding them, but I mean, they didn't really have to do much. They they couldn't find the guy that they wanted to replace. Patch you ready, uh, you know, yeah. with his injury. And they're going to the be Flames fine. Case, they, they should be fine. In the Flames case, I mean, like I said, my, my, my biggest problem with them is a lack of, of self-awareness, a lack of, of determining what they want to really do. Um, and because of that stasis, I think they were one of the bigger losers of the deadline. I think, obviously, not to pile on the Philadelphia Flyers, but their inability to really <laughs> do the thing that a lot of other teams in the East were able to do, which is kind of like sell off their assets and, and get into a different place. Um, monetarily and, and move some of their players that have been there through the losing seasons uh, to not do that and, and not even 
find find a way to get James Van Riemsdyk to a contender um, is just kind of stunning to me. So they they were also a team that I didn't think do, did well for themselves. The JVR conversations after <laughs> the deadline had passed, like I still can't really piece together what exactly happened here. It just seems like. Uh, in the post-deadline uh, kind of media availabilities, it was like, you know, we didn't get a single call about James Van Reeves. Like, not even for a fourth-round pick. And it's like, isn't that – shouldn't you be calling people? Like, <laughs> well, wait wait a know, second. What's saying, happening here? <laughs> Chuck Chuck Fletcher, made, he said he called everybody and called everybody twice. And, and simply nobody wanted to take yeah. a slightly used James Van Reeves like off his hands and – Look, I mean, his salary is part of it, and, and he does play a, a style of hockey and play a role that not every team needs. I mean, if you're playing a speed game, you don't necessarily need somebody to park himself in front of the net. Um, but he's a good player, and he, he's got goal-scoring acumen. He's got a, 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 an expiring contract. We saw we saw other players move at the deadline. But it, it is kind of inexplicable. I mean, he, he, ta- he talked about how the Flyers were ready to take on salary coming back the other way as long as it wasn't somebody with term. It's just kind of amazing that, um, in a bad way, that the Flyers weren't able to make more uh, dramatic moves with the roster that they have, considering I think they do have some players that might be desirable off that roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's get to the Timo Meyer conversation. I know you already mentioned the way that he's going to be able to help that team, but he is expected to make his debut for the Devils tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, looks like the, the Devils have some great warm-up jerseys that they're going to be wearing. I saw you tweeting about those, Greg. I mean, how are we feeling about tonight and the, the injection of Timo Meyer into this Devils lineup? Well, it'll be his home debut. He's he's played with them uh, on the road a little bit, and so it'll be kind of a celebration of him joining this team and uh, and making the big home debut. So he should get a good pop there. And you know the the vibes are good. Devils Devils hockey. Uh, you know I've been a Devils fan all my life, and I've gone to many many games in New Jersey. I got to say that like I've not seen this level of engagement before in the sense that. You know they're they're selling out games on a Tuesday night against Western Conference opponents, and those games would sometimes be the ones you go to, and it's like eleven thousand of your closest friends are there. You know it's never really like a huge sellout crowd, but they're packing the building for those games, and I think it's a combination of, of three things. One is winning, obviously. The other is um, the style of hockey that they play. I mean, when the Devils were winning cups, they were playing an extraordinarily boring style. I don't think anybody would say they weren't. Um, and, and I don't think that there was like a huge level of, hey, let's get down to the rink and see some exciting devil's hockey. We might see a win, but we might not see exciting hockey. And this is mm-hmm. exciting hockey. And the third thing is you, they've never had a player like Jack Hughes before on, in this franchise's history. I mean, their biggest stars were defensive players, goalies and defensemen. They've never had this homegrown magnetic personality on the ice uh, like, like Hughes where – you tune into a game or you buy a ticket to a game just to see what he's going to do next. And, and I mean, the fact that he's so young, I think really connects to a, a, a huge demographic of, of fans that, you know, want, for example, their parents to buy them tickets to go to a devil's game. So it's, it's really become a, a sensation uh, in Jersey in a way that it really hasn't been for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And I, and I should say Timo Meyer already played a game with the devils. This is his home debut. I should make that correction. I didn't say that correctly. 
but it's his home debut in New Jersey. Seems like it's going to be fun. Uh, where do you think he fits the best in this lineup? Uh, like, do you think that it's with Jack Hughes and, and Jesper Brad on that kind of, I would call it a, a, a 1B line? I'm not, I'm not going to call it the second line because uh, I think he sure <laughs> is a 1C. Uh, but do you think, though, those are the right two guys beside him and, and Hughes and Brad? Yeah, I mean, I think the Devils are blessed with with two lines that are that are real good. I mean, whoever's playing with Heischer, um, and then obviously this line that they've trotted out with Meyer Hughes and, and Brad. I think I think where he belongs is with Jack Hughes, no matter who's on the other side on the other wing. Um, you know, one of the things the Devils were hoping to do last summer was try to chase down uh, Matthew Kachuk for this very reason. Like they want somebody mm-hmm. with a little bit of size, a little bit of physicality that can play with Hughes um, because although Hughes has, has gotten a lot tougher and he's kind of grown into his body a little bit, I mean, he's still not exactly like the biggest guy, right? So like he could use somebody with a little bit of size out there um, on his line to really make hay, say in the offensive zone or maybe throw a hit when, when necessary. So I like that, that configuration right now. I like to see them roll with it for a little bit more, but more than anything else, I want to see uh, Meyer and, and Jack Hughes together. Uh, so let's move on to one of the stories that came out this week on ESPN, Greg. You have your kind of regular piece about the NHL Awards Watch. Uh, you get lots of anonymous voters and then compile all that. So one interesting one this week in this edition. Connor McDavid, not a unanimous <laughs> pick for MVP? Why? No, what happened here? Not. And I see that people are blaming you specifically for it. So that's always fun. Of course they are. <laughs> you know, I made the mistake of saying uh, the other day that, uh, you know, there could be cases to be made for other players like Pasternak or, or, or T.H. Thompson or even Jack Hughes. And, of course, Edmonton fans took that to mean that I am voting against Connor McDavid. That is not the case. I think McDavid is the MVP. But if a couple of the uh, actual Professional Hockey Writers Association voters that we polled one of them put Tage Thompson up top and one of them put David Pasternak up top. So it remains to be seen uh, how it all shakes out when the votes are actually cast, if, if maybe they're convinced otherwise, or you know, maybe if the Buffalo Sabres do sneak into the Eastern Conference playoffs, the narrative that it was Tage Thompson getting them there for the first time since 2011 will be too much for a lot of people to handle. And he might get one over on Connor, who's to say, but... I did have one writer uh, text me after this thing published yesterday to say, like, we're going to be so embarrassed as a group if McDavid isn't unanimous. So I wonder if ultimately <laughs> there'll be some peer pressure internally uh, on, on everybody kind of getting in line and, and making that happen, being that this is going to be, I mean, he's on pace for the best offensive season in NHL history by someone not named Wayne Gretzky or Mary Lemieux. So, I mean, that's the kind of rarefied air we're looking at right now for McDavid. Right, but where does he rank in plus-minus? <laughs> that was the argument made to me <laughs> yeah. this morning on Twitter, was that somebody was telling me that he is, uh, I forget where he is in plus-minus, but then I had to... Like 106 and, and, and making or the case, Yeah, and making the case that an MVP should not be there in plus-minus. So I had to like go back a couple of years and, and wonder what it, where exactly this argument was when Leon Dreisaitl was like 250th in plus-minus when he was <laughs> minus seven and still won the heart. The plus minus is, I mean, listen, plus minus is a stat that has really fallen out of favor. And, and it is interesting to look back at the awards um, and see some instances where simply being a minus player kind of short-circuited some campaigns. I remember one year, um, I think it was Nick Lidstrom ended up finishing in, uh, in minus territory for like one of the only times in his career 
And it, I think it was the year he lost the Norris because the narrative was, well, you can't vote for a good defenseman if he's a minus. And I'm like, <laughs> Nick Lidstrom, what, yeah. are, we, what are we doing? <laughs> but it happens sometimes. Uh, was there anything else surprising in those ballots, Greg? Like, was there anything else? Because it's, I mean, it seems like Maddie Beneers is kind of the unanimous rookie of the year. I think we all know that. Uh, I guess the other one is Lindy Ruff going from most likely to get fired uh, with the <laughs> chance against him in New Jersey to now he's runner up to win the Jack Adams in your awards voting this season. Like, it, it, was that the next big one? Or is there something else that jumps out at you? Yeah, there's. There's so many good coaches that have a case this year. I mean, even looking over in the West and seeing like Dave Hackstall getting the crack into where they are and, and DeBoer having the impact he had in year one bonus, having the impact he's had in, in, in Winnipeg, you know, laying down the law when he got there with the veteran players. The one I'll say, you mentioned the Calder. Like, I, obviously, I think Veneers has a really strong case for being rookie of the year and potentially unanimous one. Um, One of the names I think could give him a challenge is Owen Power with the Buffalo Sabres, who I think will probably get a little bit more attention down the stretch as long as the Sabres are in a playoff race. But I I was surprised that none of the rookie goalies that had been in the conversation for most of the year ended up being in the top three. Like Logan Thompson saved the the Golden Knights season for, for like three quarters of the year before he got hurt. Stuart Skinner obviously is like not Jack Campbell, so he's doing pretty well for the Edmonton Oilers. And so I was a little bit surprised not to see one of those guys jump up into the top three. But I also think I also wonder whether, you know, there's a widespread recognition that both of those guys are are in fact rookies after uh they made kind of an impact last season. Mm-hmm. Uh awesome. Are you going to the game tonight, Greg? Are you going to, to the Devils game? I'm not going to the game tonight. No, um, I'll be watching from afar. But it should be should be a fun one. I mean, uh, the, the Leafs I think are a little banged up. Uh, they uh, like Tavares is out, I think, and uh, obviously O'Reilly's on the shelf until the playoffs probably. So it's a bit of a diminished team. But again, like uh, it's uh, it's the East is the East right now. It's the Leafs and Lightning, and it's the Devils and Rangers, and let's see where all the rest of the ship the chips fall. Yep. All right. Well, enjoy the game and, and thanks for coming on the show. And uh, we had a bunch of notes in the text line uh, because you, you said, oh, I thought this was a personal call. We do have a listener who has been waiting for you to provide your credit card information. So do it that way. You, you will. Well, I just I, I, I wanted I wanted to I wanted to do the uh, I wasn't really paying attention to your uh, to your yeah, uh, soliloquy you of the show bit. Uh, but I, I will not be providing my credit card information. <laughs> I only do that yeah. to. Uh, Sultans who email me uh, to my Hotmail account and tell me that I need to provide it because they are they have gold waiting for me. I'm sure you right, get those too right. sometimes. Yes, one of your family members, uh, we found a recent ancestor of yours that has passed away and left you with with lots of riches. Please give us your credit card info so it's we not, can send I mean, it to you. Honestly, <laughs> it's gotten to the point where like the bank calls me and it's actually the bank, and then I have to spend five minutes making sure that it was the bank after I talk yeah. to them. Like it's got that's where we are as a fraudulent society. It's a sad place to be. Yeah. Well, thanks for ignoring my, my chat off the top. It's fine. You didn't even, <laughs> you didn't even like my question. So it's okay. <laughs> Fans want Connor Bedard in Calgary. So it's okay. Well, you know, it, it, I blame, blame the, the team for not, for yeah. not going deeper into that rabbit hole earlier. I will. I will tell Brad Levine that later. Thanks Greg. Please. Anytime. <laughs> 
All right, there goes Greg Grasinski, uh, senior national writer at ESPN. He joined us there on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline, and the guest hotline is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take order delivery at 403-248-3344. We're going to go to a quick break, uh, and then we're going to finish off the show with a chat with Joe Smith. He covers the Minnesota Wild for The Athletic. We will uh, talk to him and tee up the Calgary Flames-Minnesota Wild game tonight. That's coming up next on Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right. Hockey Central 960 continues. Final segment of the hour. We're going to go right back to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and bring on our second guest of the day. It's Joe Smith. He covers the Minnesota Wild for The Athletic. And uh, let's bring him in now, Joe. We're going to tee up this Flames Wild game tonight. Uh, and, and I don't know. We'll see if it's as <laughs> interesting, sad. Are there going to be boos? I don't know. Because the game last one between these two on Saturday was was certainly topical in this market, at least. How are you? Doing well, doing well. How is that AP pizza? Is that pretty good? Is it like Boston pizza or what's the, what's the, uh, the hotline? <laughs> yeah, Atlas Pizza. Yeah. Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Not Boston pizza. Don't say that, Joe. I was wondering how good it is. Is it like one of the top pizzas you've had in Canada? I'm celiac, so I can't eat pizza. Um, Cam? It's the best Taylor? pizza. It's just the best. <laughs> There's no question. There's no other pizzas. It's just Alice. Yeah. I apologize, but I I can't eat pizza, and it's a very sad experience that I've had to have in my life, but that's okay. Cam likes it. We've got a stamp of approval, so we're good. Uh, yeah, Flames and Wild tonight, Joe, in Minnesota. The Wild with a 3 nothing win on Saturday against the Flames. I do want to start there, though, because what was your take on that game? Uh, again, it ended with Calgary getting booed off the ice, but... What was uh, your take on that game from your vantage point covering the Wild? Well, I mean, it was, it was obviously a, a big win for, for Minnesota, and they just made some deadline acquisitions uh, that week. And, and to have them both kind of come through with Johansson and John Klingberg, it was definitely uh, very big for them. And I think it was – I felt it was a kind of a crushing loss for, for Calgary considering the Hollywood game went, and it was one nothing until – to fully had a breakaway chance and that could have changed everything, right? If he scores there to make it one, one, and we could, you know, they're talking about two straight wins for Calgary, but, um, but I was really impressed while watching last night, Calgary finding a way with like four seconds left could be a season saving win if they keep on going on a run here. Um, but I think the, the wild are very much aware that of how desperate they're going to be and um, how it could be a lot different than the game we saw on Saturday in Calgary. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the, this wild lineup that's going to be, taking the ice tonight it looks like uh you know john klingberg is a big deadline acquisition uh i think it's uh, who's starting tonight it's a uh, philip gustafson and net oscar sunquist is going to make his wild debut like what do you make of of this you know the roster that the minnesota wild have right now and, and the group that's going to be iced in this game well it's interesting i think the whole idea for them at the deadline was was bolstering their forward group um just arrives to more depth it's basically been the krill caprice show all season long. I think he's responsible for like 40% of their 
their goals. So, you know, at least since January, at least since late December. So, um, and you saw that the other night in Calgary, Daryl Sutter had a great game plan of just taking him away. And that's the first game that they've scored three or more goals without Kaprizov scoring one uh, in a month and a half. So, um, to have that depth of Johansson really helped Matt Boldy play his best game in a while last game. And this is the first, this is the debut for Oscar Sundquist, who the Wilds got from uh, Detroit uh, right before the deadline as well, who replaced Jordan Greenway uh, in the lineup to see his first impact with them. So um, that'll be interesting to see the first lineup, first game with that new lineup in place. And then obviously Gustafson uh, has been on a roll for pretty much three months now. And so I'm sure that'll be area of focus for, for Calgary, trying to get one by him, trying to get some more traffic in front. How would you evaluate what Bill Guerin did ahead of Friday's trade deadline, Joe? Because, I mean, they add John Klingberg. He's the big one. There were some other moves where uh, it looked like Bill Guerin was just trying to be the the broker that gets some of the top players out of the West or keep them out of here. You know, I'll help you get Timo Meyer. Let's Or not Timo Myers, Ryan O'Reilly. Let's get Ryan O'Reilly out of the Central. I will retain some salary for you. But then, yeah, they get Sunquist. They move out Jordan Greenway. How do you, like, What's your grade, I guess, if you could evaluate everything that Bill Guerin did leading up to the deadline? I think considering the circumstances, it's probably around an eight, or eight out of ten. Um, if you, their whole goal going in was to not give up top assets, top-round picks for, for rentals, and, and they can't take on terms since their cap situation is even tougher next year and the year after with the Paris and Suter buyout uh, recapture uh, issues there. And so basically, I know they are bankers and – helping other teams make trades, but the, they got a pick from the Ryan O'Reilly deal. Uh, they basically flipped to get John Klingberg in a, in a very small price to pay. And then the Orloff deal they they brokered, that pick they used for there to get Gustav Nyquist. So basically they parlayed those roles, bankers, and paid a couple hundred thousand dollars in cash to get some new assets and not really give up much at the deadline. And they added Sunquist and they added – uh, Nyquist eventually for the playoffs, but Johansson's a guy who was helped right away. And a third-pairing D and top power play uh, quarterback in Klingberg. So none of them were flashy names or, like, the big high-impact players, but for a team that defends as well as the Wild do and has the goal team that the Wild have and a superstar in Caprice, they just need to kind of supporting cast to round it out. And so I think considering they weren't in the market for the big names, they did a really good job. Do you think all that makes this team a contender? I, I know – wild fans I, I, they're pretty they're pretty loud on social and i know they're a team that gets really frustrated I, they're kind of the same ilk as the calgary flames in the sense that this is a team that can sometimes look like a contender and then they flame out in the postseason or they end up being stuck in the mushy middle i mean with what they did at the deadline and what you've seen of them like is this minnesota wild team a contender in your mind well if they were in the east i would say I would say no, but I think the West is so wide open right now uh, that nobody really kind of jumps out and, and scares you, right? So uh, the Wild are just focused on getting out of the first round. They haven't done that in a while, but I think they have the team. They're playing the kind of style of hockey that you need to, to win in the playoffs now. So I think that what they've done and how they built this team and uh, better in adverse situations, better in tight games, not quite as running gun as last year. They 25 come from line victories and franchise record and goals so it's a different type of team or a different type of style that's more conducive to playoff success but um, I think in the Western Conference they're not really a team that jumps out at you so I think if they can build up here and win a round or so that's going to be a successful season for them. 
Where do you think John Klingberg fits best into this wild lineup, Joe? Like, what's the best way to kind of maximize this asset? And, like, what is he going to add to this group? Well, I mean, he'll be the first to admit that his numbers were were pretty brutal in Anaheim. You know, it wasn't the Klingberg everybody's watched and, and seen in Dallas for those years, one of the most elite offensive defensemen. Um, but I think back in Anaheim, he was playing kind of the top pairing role in minutes against really good competition on a bad team. And now in Minnesota, he plays a third pairing role, still decent minutes, 19 minutes on Saturday, um, but in different matchups and on a strong, you know, structured defensive minded team, uh, I think it'll get the most out of him. They need him to move the puck up the ice and create offensively five on five and help work the power play. And that's exactly what he's done his entire career. And now he doesn't have to getting the big matchups like Jared Spurgeon and Middleton get or Brodeen when he's back from an injury. So I think it's an ideal spot for him to kind of, you know, you maximize his value going into this contract year too and maybe uh, get a better deal than he thought he would get um, going into the season with Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you surprised that Matt Dumba was not moved? I feel like we've been talking about Matt Dumba getting traded for, for years and it's just another another year of like, oop, Matt Dumba trade proposals. Uh, he sticks around. He is still a member of the Minnesota Wild. What does the next few months or a couple weeks until the season's over look like for Matt Dumba? And are you surprised that they couldn't find a trade partner? Well, it's funny. We asked him in, in Calgary the other day about being here still, and he kind of laughed and said, you know, dodge another bullet here if you can't get rid of me. But uh, it's just kind of been the joke every year that he's been part of the trade rumors. But I am not surprised that they didn't move him. One, I don't know that there's a lot of trade value out there for him. Number two, they still have to replace him with somebody. Um, he still plays top four minutes and for the top five-on-five five ice time on this team. So if you want to dump him because he's a pending UFA and get assets, you still have to – you have a playoff team that you want to go and, and make a run here. You have to replace a guy like that with somebody else so they weren't going to get that kind of deal on the market. So it was best for them to use him as their own rental, so to speak, and ride this out in his final year probably in Minnesota and, and see – and he said this is the best team he's ever been on. Minnesota, and he's the place he wants to be. And so uh, I know how how good he is in the room as far as guys really love him. So I think it would have been a tough blow for them to lose him uh, right before the end of the season here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the biggest like question mark or storyline that you are tracking with this Minnesota Wild team heading into the stretch drive, Joe? I, I know that you and Mike Russo at the Athletic did a big live room, and you took uh, some listener and reader questions there. Uh, so if anyone listening now is interested in a bit more of a deep dive into the Wild, you can check that out uh, on the Athletic and all of the other content from Joe and Russo with the wild, but like when you do that kind of project and you hear the questions from fans or you and Russo start to get into it, like what is the biggest question mark or storyline that you guys are tracking uh, when looking at this team down the stretch? Well, I think a lot of questions on those lab rooms were roster stuff for next year, like a kill and Addison be traded and what Augustus's contract look like and, well, Rock Faber enters the lineup after he goes finishes in Minnesota. But I think the real important issues right now are is number one, the health of Jonas Brodeen, one of their top defensemen who's been out for a little while now with the lingering lower body injury he's dealt with for a good part of the season and getting him healthy and back will be I think a, a big focal point if you're watching this team because of how important he is uh to, to the lineup. And I think the next thing is just seeing how these new guys from the deadline mesh in and and do they make this 
forward group all of a sudden more balanced and, and take some pressure off of Kirill Kaprizov. I think those are the biggest issues, maybe not as much fun issues that fans want to talk about, but those are the ones that will be so important for the Wilds if they want to have any success in the playoffs. The stuff with roster construction and salaries in the offseason and who stays, who goes, will be subject to many stories going on by Mike and I, but I think right now, Jonas Brodian's health and how the new guys fit in will be so important. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, my producer and I were kind of joking about it before we came onto the show, you know, about things to talk about the wild and you try so hard not to just make the whole conversation about Kirill Kaprizov. So I'm sure you could tell that I haven't brought him up at all yet. And it's like, okay, I've got to ask, like, just how important is this guy to what the Minnesota wild have been doing this season and any, you know, potential success they're going to have in the postseason? Well, I think if there weren't, um, like non-human player in Edmonton named Connor McDavid, I think it would be pretty hard-pressed to find somebody more valuable to their team than Kirill Kaprizov as far as how dynamic he is, how much he drives the offense, leads both ends of the ice. Like, you know, there was a time there where this team was like last in the league in five-on-five offense, and they were still a playoff team, and that's largely because of Kirill Kaprizov. So um, he's a top, I think, top five, seven, seven player in the league and probably one of the top three or four players I've ever covered in my career is going back to Tampa and all those special players. So he's that good. And, you know, that's why it's so important for him to be so durable and play like he has and, and like the wild hope, get him some help. So he doesn't have to be uh, overburdening himself in a playoff series, trying to carry them through a first round. Like they, they probably know he probably still could. I guess speaking of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Joe, we got a few more minutes left uh, with you. I've got to ask, like, what is going on with this Lightning team? I know you're locked in a while, but you've done some really good uh, Lightning stuff on the Athletic throughout the season, uh, as you did for years before moving to Minnesota. They've lost nine of their last eleven. John Cooper is benching his top line. He's benching his top guys. <laughs> like, I don't know if we've ever seen this from the Tampa Bay Lightning before. Like, we've seen dips in their play um but i wonder if they're kind of taking this like let's chill out in the regular season and just you know get hot in the playoffs too seriously i don't know if i've ever seen this happen yeah it's like the probably one of the worst stretches as far as like five losses in a row like since 2014-15 since their whole decade uh has started now i think a group like this kind of earns kind of benefit of the doubt because of what they've accomplished the last three years and something to be said for how much hockey they played the last three and a half seasons, something to be said for, you know, getting a tough part of the schedule where you play Carolina, who that game meant a lot to them more to them than it did meant to Tampa Bay Lightning. And that was a definitely convincing win by Carolina uh, a few days ago. Um, but I think this is where, you know, John Cooper and his staff, you know, and the leaders in that room really kind of make a direction of where this team is going to go. And they're too proud and too talented of a group, I think, to let the season go by the wayside and it really matters in round one when they face the Leafs on who's healthy and who's ready to go because being on that team for a long time I think there'll be a lot of people who will be quickly to say like the demise of the lightning will be greatly exaggerated going forward but it's definitely a concerning time with how much goals they've been given up because that's not very much like the team that they've built the last couple of years especially with Vasilevsky and that. Thanks for doing this Joe have fun at the game. No problem Haley thanks for having me good talking to you. Thank you. There goes Joe Smith on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Uh, He covers the Minnesota Wild for the Athletic. And again, Minnesota Wild going with Philip Gustafson in net tonight. Oscar Sunfist is going to make his Wild debut against the Calgary Flames. Stay locked in on Sports at 960, your home of the Flames.